You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Welcome back to another episode of the Pullbox Podcast. This is episode number 68. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. I am your other host, Michael Cohen. We are going to have a doozy of an episode today. We are talking <laughs> about not just one, not two, but three different versions of Ghost in the Shell today. Yes. And we'll start us off talking about the uh, the manga, of course, because this is a comic book show. Yep. Um, and then later on in the episode, we'll touch on the anime and um, at the very end, I know that most of you probably won't see it, don't care to see it, or those of you who've seen it, um, I don't know if you're even going to listen to this or not, but uh, um, there will be spoilers in this movie, yep. um, At the but we'll push them toward the end so that uh, you can still hear, um, you, you can still hear us talk about Ghost in the Shell, the manga, and the anime without uh, worrying about movie spoilers. So... This, um, for those of you who don't know, Ghost in the Shell is one of the the more uh, highly regarded Japanese comics of its time. Uh, it was serialized from 1989 to 1991, 1989 to 1991. Uh, and then I, I don't know when it was brought over to America for the first time, um, but I think most of us in the Western world were um, let me just double check the date on that. Ninety three, I think it was, but I, w- I want to make sure that I have that oh, date yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I think that the majority of people would probably know it uh, from the anime, um, but uh, but obviously the, the the comic is the original source material, like so many things. Um, Nin- Nineteen ninety five is 95, when the yeah. movie came out. Yeah. Um, what was it originally serialized in? Uh, well, all Japanese comics were serialized in just kind of anthology magazines okay and um they just release a chapter at a time yeah and uh and then after the story is finished they collect them into their into books yeah they did these collections far sooner than um than we did then we had graphic novels here because that's the standard practice now yeah um and i don't know what it was originally serialized in um i i don't know that it matters either um i was just curious but um yeah but uh, yeah, this is a uh, this is an interesting comic. the The premise. Let's see if I can boil it down to just a few <laughs> sentences. Uh, this is the future. What what year is this? Um, two thousand and like twenty five or something like that. It's not that far into the fu- into our future now. Two two um, twenty twenty nine. So it's uh, we're getting pretty close to that actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in the future, um, people have started um augmenting their own bodies with um, robotic or cybernetic body parts mm-hmm. um, to, to kind of enhance them. And uh, and that, that can go from either, you know, you replace an eye to have one with uh, telescopic range to people who have full bodies. The, yeah. the only thing that is left of their original selves is, is their brain. And um, they they refer to the brain, their their old personality or their old self as a ghost. Mm-hmm. And that is it exists inside 
this robotic shell, and that's where you get the title Ghost in the Shell. Yep. Um, so this story focuses on Section 9, which is a, um, a military division that um, its purpose is to to uh, deal with um, terrorism in the cybernetic world, I guess, yeah. right? Um, because everybody can link up their brains, and it's like, th- this story was made before the internet, so... But what people are doing with their brains in this story is kind of like the internet. You, you're connecting yeah. and sharing information and, and communicating back and forth. And um, people's brains can be susceptible to hackers. And, uh, and, and, that's, and so you have this group of people, um, which is uh, led by Major Motoko... Kusanagi. Kusanagi, that's right. Yeah. Motoko Kusanagi. And she is only a brain inside... A completely cybernetic body. Yeah, yeah, which isn't isn't revealed right away. No, um, it's sort of revealed. I think like three or four chapters in, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, there are cybernetic uh, cyborgs, which is yeah. basically people who uh, who are mostly over. I think they defined it as like over ninety percent. Yeah, uh, cybernetic. Well, and we <clears> and get, then they reveal that she's one of them. We know that. Um, that she has upgrades because yes. she do she does some pretty remarkable things. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the cover of this book actually kind of gives away that she's completely. Yeah, you're yeah, more or less yeah synthetic. Sure. Yeah, um, sure. but uh, yeah, the, the the nice the the cool thing that I think about this book is that um, it it makes you really work to yeah. figure out what's going on. Yeah, it doesn't follow your typical, and I don't know if this is just a North American thing and your typical American narrative yeah. where it you know starts you find out about the character and their history or origin. No, it plants you right in the middle of yeah. this new world and doesn't tell you anything about it. It just plunks you down in the middle and you have to figure out what's going on and yeah. what what who these characters are and what makes them special and and everything about it. Um so the the series is about 12 11 or 12 chapters hmm. and for the most part each chapter is a standalone story. Yeah, right up until the end when you discover that like a though I think like the last three stories are pretty well connected. Yeah. <clears throat> and um and you actually find out that that there are, there may be some connections to some of the other stories throughout that if right. you went back and reread it you would be like, "Oh, wait a second, that mm-hmm. seems somewhat connected to that." Yeah. Um and then on top of that, I'm sure that there's a level that most people don't understand because <laughs> it's really one of the things about the book the book is awesome yeah like first off yeah it's really it's, great it's really really good but uh it's it's shiro uh masamune right yeah yeah and uh th- this this guy's thinking on a, a different level from the average human being <laughs> definitely um and his writing reflects in that uh, right up until, uh, not right up until, but like including his like notes in the margin mm-hmm. to let you know that like, by the way, there's something else happening here that like, <laughs> I don't have time to explain to you and I'm not going to make the characters unnaturally break into exposition right? Um, in order to tell you what it is. It's just going like, I'm just going to give you a note that this gun is specifically blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah. whoa, 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 I don't need to know <laughs> exactly what caliber the gun is well, and, and how man, many rounds and that and this one's the same the margin, as this one. Yeah. In the back of the book with all of the footnotes that he includes, it's just, he goes into so much detail. This guy, 
he has a huge knowledge of military tactics and military okay. weapons. I'm sh- well. I mean, I don't know this for sure, but based on his writing, yeah. he must. Yeah. Like he obviously is a huge. Uh, he he studies a lot about this kind of stuff because yeah. he goes into a lot of detail in his in his books. Yeah, and the way he executes these missions um, that each of the uh, that this team in Section Nine goes goes on in each of the chapters it's like he knows exactly what every character is doing um yeah. in a very kind of tactical way um so it's pretty uh it, it's really interesting reading from that perspective yeah for sure yeah it, it it's um it, it definitely has a very very uh military vibe to it <laughs> the only thing in american culture that i think that i could probably equate it to um properly is Top Gun, which is really funny, <laughs> but like, but it is because um, Top Gun has that same blend of of uh, the the military aspect of it, um, and then the the human aspect, the the yep. buddy buddy stuff, and like I it, I'm hard pressed to now I don't watch a lot of military movies, so so maybe some people could tell me some other ones, but it, it when I say militaristic, it's not we're not talking about like a World War Two sort of militaristic it's like this is like modern military like seal team six yeah um that sort of stuff but then it is peppered throughout with all of this great humor um that like these people are basically government mercenaries um but they don't take themselves or their job too seriously which <laughs> yeah. is funny considering they basically murder people for the government right um that's it, I, the opening story involves a major basically murdering someone mm-hmm. on behalf of the government the other yep. thing that that makes the story really cool and oddly like very weirdly prescient is that i governments are no longer governments, they're corporations. Right. Right. And it's sort of explained right off the bat that like the way that governments operate now is basically as, as corporate entities that are responsible for the economy for the most part. Like mm-hmm. that's econ- the, the economy and security. Yeah. Like that's really all the government does. And human rights have kind of gone out the window along with this right which i think you know we are we are definitely in 2017 on the precipice of (laughs) of um you know like i i think that that it's it's interesting and it's it's hard to pinpoint when you're living through a turning point in history but i think that world war ii was probably the last one actually probably the era from world war 1 stretching through world war 2 like the, the the depression era yeah and the the world really changed and and you know like how warfare was conducted and, and therefore yeah. how governments conducted themselves mm-hmm. really changed um and prior to that it would have been things like the american revolution and 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 industrialization right right yeah but but with this this comic is definitely pointing towards a future. It is a, it's dystopian. The, the characters might look like they're having fun and it might be full of awesome action, but what it really is, is a warning. Like it's, you know, Mm -hmm. be careful because, um, you know, technology as well as, as, uh, corporatization are dangerous, right? Because the more, 
a human being becomes a machine, the less their rights matter. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so like the hacking and stuff like that and privacy, they all go away. Um, and, and along with that, the idea that, that corporations and governments become one in the same, uh, it, it really, uh, it really is, um, a scary thing to think about. And I think that in the, the late eighties, early nineties, when, when he wrote it, that stuff was, you know, it's like, is this, uh, Philip K. Dick a few year, years before that? Like these people were looking at like basically reading tea leaves mm-hmm. and had no idea how close to <laughs> reality they would get. I think the only thing that's different for us today is that technology just hasn't gotten there yet. Right. Right. Yeah. But but the the social ramifications of technology and how connected we are and stuff like that, that stuff's happening to us right now. It so. is, yeah. It's interesting, like like the like I say, the book is prescient. It 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 was written way before this stuff was really a concern and was just a hypothetical sci-fi plot device, really. Um, but nowadays, if you were going to tell this story, <laughs> you might want well, to include a little bit of that stuff. So there is a. Um we you weren't on this podcast but when you were taking your break we um we we talked about a book called Private Eye by Brian K Vaughn okay and that has a very similar kind of um social commentary to it yeah. it's set in the near future and in that in that story the internet has been wiped out because everyone has all of these great privacy concerns and such yeah. to the point where if you go outside um you wear a disguise hmm. because your own privacy is so important and so highly coveted that um, you don't dare show your actual real face or give your real name or anything anywhere you go. Yeah. And that was, uh, it has a similar kind of feel to that because the government um, tries to intervene and, 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 you know, control and, and, you know, get everybody's information and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it, we, it's really interesting that um, we now have a, well, I, I say we, but it's not us at all. It's the United States has a president mm-hmm. that is um, a business person. Yep. Who is uh, who? I feel like his um, a lot of the decisions he makes are to to further his own establishment. Yep. Really, and um, so we could be heading in that direction. Yeah. Um, this this book takes place after there is another world war, so. Uh, and we could be heading down that road too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's scary to think about. So, um, who knows uh, if how how the world will be when we actually get to twenty not twenty nine. Yeah, 2020, That's in twelve years. or Yeah, so. and uh, uh, you know, people go like, "Well, we're not going to catch up to that technology." You'd be surprised what a full scale world war can do for right. technological improvements. Because yeah. Yeah. when you look at uh, pre World War Two. And then post World War II, the world had basically been mechanized as a mm-hmm. result. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and and you know the the one thing that I think and 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 this is this is funny because this comes up when I talk to people about Tomorrowland as well at Disneyland. Um, 
back in the basically starting in the 50s up until probably the last 10 years the idea of the future was very much about technology it was very yeah. much about the microchip and and flying cars and ray guns yeah. and living on the moon and stuff like that um now that we live in a world where all of that technology is realized it's not you know i readily available to to the consumer but basically anything that that they could think of in in like 1960s and 70s sci-fi we have some version of today or at least we know how we would like to do it we just need power sources right um but but nowadays really like the the future uh, is much more about uh, geneticists, like ge- genetic experimentation, right. as well as nanotechnology, and and it's really like you start getting into stuff like eugenics and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, the it's, ethical it's, side of things. It's yeah. very, very different um, as opposed to the way that it that it was looked at, that futurism right. was looked at in the past. Um, yeah, because it was all just enhancing your way of life, yeah. and that kind of thing, and now it's enhancing your own genetic code. Yeah. 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 So the, the idea of cybernetics, um, that was kind of ahead of its time, I guess it was for sure. But I think that when we look at it and you look at ghost in the shell, uh, and even the movie, uh, it's all very technology based and, and that is unlikely. The, the majority of it will probably end up being genetically based Yeah, and it'll be, uh, it'll be closer to what I think the next Jurassic Park movie is going to be about, (laughs) um, than it is, than it is to this idea of the future. But that's Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. people go to Tomorrowland at Disneyland or Disney World and they look and they go like, there's nothing futuristic about any of this and things like the carousel of progress and stuff like that. They've all been torn down because they don't have any place and so now you just see them putting in like buzz lightyear and star wars because like (laughs) what are you gonna do build a ride about genetic manipulation yeah you know like you can't really do that so um yeah it's we could get mr dna to be the host of that show that's true that's true well that's that's at universal (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) you gotta you gotta careful be careful the rights right um but yeah so it it, the 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 futurist side of this, the ideology behind it, I think was on on course mm-hmm. for where we are now. It's yep. just that the technology and the idea of like and the funny thing is that he calls them micro machines in this yep. because the term nanobot hadn't been coined yet. Right. Right. And so that that tells you how far ahead of the game. And I mean he's only a few years ahead of it, but basically like Masamune was was figuring out nanobots yeah. before other people had started using the term nanobot. Right. Right. Um, and that's incredible. Like to, to basically come up with your own term for nanobot before it was, was coined mm-hmm. properly. Right. Yeah. Um, I, of course we can't call things micro machines because that's, bad. that's, no. that's, yeah, it's patented. <laughs> it's own. it was owned by Galoob and is now owned by Hasbro. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny so yeah the, the comic i yeah. uh, what is there anything else you want to say about the comic specifically well or? we should note that the um the main story later on is um revolves around this guy named the puppet master who yes. goes by the puppet master he's a hacker and he's hacked in actually it's the puppet master in the anime i think it's the puppeteer in the comic oh the puppeteer yeah you're right yeah yeah, yeah. the puppeteer he is hacked into the brain of an assistant of a government official yeah. um, to try and control them and stuff. And uh, 
and so they uncover this plot and and um eventually um eventually major gets uh gets in contact with with the puppeteer yeah and actually goes into the puppeteer's mind and they they essentially merge um but we don't know that at first yeah uh, and it's slowly revealed that she's not quite right. Uh, she's a little off, or something's going on. And then, then um, kind of at the climax, uh, there's this kind of big existential question yeah. about uh, where they go from there. Um, where do humans and uh, go? Um, like, if they if they combine their minds, then they can yeah. they can start a whole new kind of race, I guess. Yeah. So much like Philip K. Dick, you start in a very grounded place a very human story uh about this military organization like these paramilitary Mm. uh operatives and what their life is like and then we slowly learn more about the world and and a a conspiracy boils up and then we end on something existential and spiritual Mm -hmm. where it's like like holy crap out of nowhere in the last two (laughs) stories now it's this is not about the government this isn't about some diplomat this isn't about any of that stuff yeah it's about the meaning of life and whether or not a cybernetic organism can be considered life and yeah. at what point you know so all that sort of stuff um that uh, that that comes into play and then uh, and then yeah the story just kind of ends as she <laughs> merges with this this i uh, cybernetic mm-hmm. organism basically like yeah. this, and her, this artificial intelligence her old body gets destroyed yeah and she gets a new body yeah so she can go off as a new person yeah um like literally a new person in mind and body yeah and you know go off and figure out where, where she places in the world now yeah. and there are subsequent um movies and a tv show and everything like this yeah there's um, all there's there are a lot of spin-off properties yeah. with the title ghost in the shell but sure. we haven't seen any of those we're yeah, just um just I, just we're, the we're comic only talking about the comic here. yeah the, the yeah. comic and then the anime and then the yeah the scarlett johansson movie which is maybe not even a ghost in the shell movie so <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that but um yeah. do you want to talk about the anime a little bit sure yeah i i watched this a long time ago, yeah. Um, back when I was first exploring, because everyone has their anime phase that they go they go sure. through, right? And I went through that when I was in my you know late teens, early adult adulthood. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like it. I didn't. I watched it. I got bored of it. Maybe I didn't understand it <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But um, I went back and watched it again this last week and totally enjoyed it. Um, yep. Maybe it's because I had read the book now and um, had more context. Had more context. Yeah. yeah. But it was actually I, I quite enjoyed it. They because it's a movie, they can't get into the same sort of detail as the book does, which yeah. is the case with every movie that's an adaptation. Um, so they really cut out a lot of the standalone stories and take only the relevant bits about the puppeteer yeah, and create their movie around that. But otherwise, it's quite faithful to the book. Um, and the animation is beautiful, especially I find that sometimes Japanese animation can be quite limited yeah um but this one it's very very nice the thing about ghost in the shell is that it's right in that sweet spot um it's it's coming off of uh years of advancement in animation yeah in japan 
uh, it's starting with stuff like Astro Boy and then like making its way up into Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z and all that sort of thing. So 95 is like right, I think, at that, the zenith, um, just before things like Pokemon and Digimon <laughs> started breaching the American market. Yeah. And then what happened is once so the door swings both ways. Once they had opened the door to the American market, the American market started influencing the way that anime was made. Yeah. And uh, and then once computers started getting more involved, um, it I feel like it really took the soul out of out of a lot of animation. Um, and we're just I think now getting back to a point where computer uh, assisted animation. So not we're not talking about CG animation, but stuff like Flash. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, like digitally colored animation and that sort of thing. It's just now starting to get back to a point where the soul's coming back in. Yeah. Um, but, but ghost in the shell is definitely like right at that pinnacle when we're starting to use CG and we're starting to use computer assisted stuff in order yeah. to, to increase the fidelity, but it hasn't stripped away the, the art. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yep, so yep. from a visual standpoint, Ghost in the Shell I think stands apart from a lot of anime as as one of the best yeah. of that era, um, or in general I should say. Uh, but uh, but in terms of storytelling, I think it's right where um, the majority of anime from that era is as well. <laughs> yeah. Which we, we were talking about this, and a lot of it comes out of adaptation. Um, where you had a very popular manga series that was being basically ported over into the animated, uh, like directly. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so you have a lot of like Dragon Ball and, uh, and, and, uh, you were saying Inuyasha. Yeah. And, and they still do that with Naruto and all yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very one-to-one, all that Shonen Jump stuff, yeah. right? Which they continue to yeah. do today. Um, and then you would have some of the more adult stuff like Ghost in the Shell would be adapted, not into a TV series, but into a film. Yeah. And Akira um, is the same in the yeah, same boat here. Yeah, exactly. Like Akira, the movie is actually like what, like the third act of the Akira story, right? Like, no, it's not. It's because the third act, when the movie came out, the third act hadn't even been oh, okay. written yet. Okay. The, the, the end of Akira is completely different than the end of the, the manga. Okay. Um, so it, it actually is quite faithful for the first two halves of okay. the movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, Ghost in the Shell takes very little of the source material and uh, and sort of uses that to tell the story. Like it really takes the 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 last little chunk and yeah. expands that out, and right. pulls in a couple of elements from other other moments in the comic, um, sort of iconic stuff. But the thing about the the anime that it manages to do is that it keeps the iconography from the comic. Yeah. Um, it is not, in my opinion, as well realized as the comic. Uh, the one thing that I find really weird is that, you know, a lot of the merchandise and, and obviously a lot of the TV series that have come after the anime, um, they – they bring back in the the uh, the Fuchi Fuchikoma is that the Fuchikima the 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 spider tanks the spider robots oh yeah 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 because um, they actually in the comic they they're kind of more their character comedic effect yeah, as well yeah, they're like, they're AI yeah and and um, they're sort of referred to as as sort of like a single 
organism, a collective. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're kind of like the Borg. But yeah. and then there, there's one of them in particular that's kind of silly. Yeah. Um. And uh, and there's there's a couple of little like almost vignettes within the comic right. itself where where some funny stuff happens with those characters if yeah. you can even call them that. But um, they're a major part of section nine and the way that section nine does stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the anime, they are they're not nowhere to be all. seen. Yeah. Uh, the only thing you see of that, that idea is one of the tanks there's because there's a story in the comic with one, with an enemy tank that's way more powerful than their Fuchikoma. Yeah. I think it's Fuchikoma. I uh, it's I'm close at least. I, uh, but I, uh, that tank makes it in <laughs> And, and it's almost like they're kind of, they're kind of like a core piece of it. And the other thing is that, that the characters, the comic has this full cast of characters. You've got major, you have Bateau, uh, you've got, uh, Aramaki, who's their, their commanding officer, um, Togusa, Togusa, Ishikawa, uh, and, uh, Sato. uh, Sato. Yeah. Like there's, there's this whole team of them. That is like each one has a character and yeah. has a backstory and like we don't get full backstories, but we get an idea and they all specialize, right? Like they all kind of have their own quirks and stuff like that. And both in the comic as well as in the anime, um, they they go to great lengths to explain why that is. And, yeah. and uh, Major has like a monologue in the anime to Togusa about you know, like, like he's like, why, why have me on the team? I'm mostly human other than some minor brain augments, you know, like basically just so that he can jack into the same network that they can, mm-hmm. um, and be connected with like the mind comms and stuff. I, uh, other than that, he's human. Meanwhile, everybody else is like augmented out the wazoo. Yeah. All for different specialties. Um, and, and she sort of refers to it as like, look, if we were all the same, then we would be predictable. And if we're predictable, then we can be defeated, basically. And it's <laughs> right. like if we're made from different parts and we, we all specialize in different areas, we reinforce each other's weaknesses. And having a human, someone who is fully human and has that doesn't think as fast, but possibly thinks more cleverly right like that mm-hmm. is just as important well and as having a bunch of guys with they're with more self-aware i think if yeah. uh if your body is not indestructible mm-hmm. or or replaceable i mean um then you're gonna think a whole lot differently than yeah. than someone like major who if her arm falls off she can get a new arm yeah yeah so um i i thought that it was really interesting that from the comic uh, into the anime, we go from a cast of about six or seven characters to a cast of three. Pretty much, yeah, right? three. Aramaki's barely even in the anime, yeah. uh, but it's mostly Major and Bato and yep. then uh, Togusa uh, to a certain extent. Yeah. And then you get to the to the new movie, and it is basically just Major and a little bit of Bato. A and, little bit. <laughs> and and the other characters, they use some of the names, uh, but but other than that, like they're not even really there. And yeah. I th- and I think that that is one of the places where uh, this adaptation falls apart in the in the different versions. And I'm actually a couple of the different TV shows are on Netflix. Yeah. So I fully intend to check some of them out after this because I really like the comic. Mm-hmm. That's the yep. thing is that I. 
I would even go so far as to say that I love this comic. Like yeah. it was really, really good. And by the end of it, you're like, wow, like that was not what I was expecting to come out of this at the end, especially based on where it starts. Yeah. But, um, the, I, like I want more of this right and not more of the anime and <laughs> no. not more of the scarlett johansson stuff right yeah but so, you'd be hard pressed to find more of this though because yeah. you know um masamune isn't actually involved in any of those yes, other tv absolutely. shows and stuff so yeah. i would love to see somebody who no. actually cares about the core of this material yeah. he did actually write it properly. he did actually write a sequel manga to this okay so there is more of his work there okay um and then if you want more of um just his work in general Appleseed Appleseed, is also the thing to to read i've read that the first volume of that and it's pretty good too yeah for sure um cool do you want to jump into a spoilerific uh ghost in the shell movie sure conversation yeah well i don't think that we need it's a spoiler at all to say that this movie is absolutely 100 percent completely terrible yes i (laughs) You know, even the things that I've heard people say were good, which is like the effects and like it visually, at least it's, it's, it's worthwhile. Um, I vehemently disagree. Uh, I think that the, the cinematography, although like it's well shot. Okay. In terms of technically proficient, but the, the cinematography in terms of the storytelling is mediocre at best. And there's a few moments where it's like, what are you even doing right now? Like, what do you think you're accomplishing with this shot? What do you think you're... So um, the movie is terrible. It's bad. It sucks. Yeah. There's no other way to say it. It It's there. It's laughably bad. Yes. Um, yeah. And it gets worse as it goes on. And yes. you know, To like, the point where I was thinking at the very end during the climax, I'm like, they just don't care anymore. No, <laughs> no. Um, and you know, like, like, let's compare it to another really bad movie, bad comic book movie from the last 12 months, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad's a bad movie. Okay. okay. I never Su- saw it. It's bad. Yeah. Um, Suicide Squad is a bad movie, but not for lack of trying. Like, like they definitely, um, David Ayer thought that he was making a good movie. I just don't think that he's very good at making movies. Okay. Um, but with Ghost in the Shell, there is a very obvious lack of intent, um, (laughs) and as well as a lack of skill. Uh, involved in it, and uh, and I'm so surprised that some of the people that are involved in it were involved as like especially Scarlett Johansson, yeah, who is the highest paid actor in the world, uh, not female actor. I'm pretty sure she's the highest paid actor. Uh, that she she makes more money than like uh, even like Tom Hanks or something. I I think so. Wow. I'm pretty sure. because uh, because she's bankable. Like Lucy. Yeah made so much money even though that was a terrible premise yeah. right um although like it is luc besson but <laughs> and which we'll be talking about luc besson in a couple months but lucy uh, is oh yeah I didn't Lu- know that. lucy okay. is a luc besson film oh, yeah i'll check that one yeah, out. yeah yeah um but it's based on a flawed premise which is that we only use 10 percent of our brains which is a miscommunication from a scientific study from like 40 years ago or something like that. Um, we use 100% of our brains. Otherwise, why would we have brains? Anyways, uh, it would be very silly. Um, and if you could use 100% of your brain, it wouldn't include the ability to change your hair color. Yeah. That, that doesn't make any sense. But uh, 
but yeah, there are just there are failures at every level in this film. The opening sequence, okay, right off the bat, yeah, the very not even before the opening sequence, yeah, we have a little text scrawl, yes, um, that's that explains everything to us right yeah. off the bat. So right, so right, I'm, I'm sitting in the theater there, and I'm like. I've I've read this this manga that made me work so hard to figure out what was yeah. going on, and they just lay it all out there yeah. for us at the very beginning. So I'm like, I'm disappointed right off yeah. the bat. And then we jump into uh, basically Kal El's rocket ship landing on Earth, or Bruce Wayne falling into the Batcave, yeah, for the first time, right? Or his parents getting shot and then falling into the Batcave. Like it starts on an origin story. Um, and guess what is not in Ghost in the Shell, either the manga or the anime? His An origin, origin story. story. Any kind of origin story whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and that right there is sort of the crux of why this movie is not Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Because the movie is about Scarlett Johansson and it yeah. is about her character, mm-hmm. um, and who she is and whether or not she's even human, um, which is definitely a theme from Ghost in the Shell, but it's almost like a throwaway, huh, when it comes up in the comic. And then in the anime, yeah. it's sort of like, well, this is tangentially related to the puppeteer or the, the puppet master, as they call it in, in the anime. Yeah. Which I think is just bad translation. But um, but in the, in the film, it is the centerpiece of, of the whole story. Um, yeah. And... It is not important whatsoever throughout the manga who Major is. Yeah, so it really doesn't matter. Here's one of the things that um that there are a lot of one of the things that I'm going to say <laughs> about this. So um, Major's character in the mm-hmm. movie is flawed. She doesn't know who she is, yeah. and um, she's insecure about it. Yeah. Um, when all of this controversy about the whitewashing came out, Scarlett Johansson said, but I am so proud to be part of a franchise with a great female lead character. Yeah. And yes, the franchise absolutely has a great female lead character. One who is strong and confident and smart and knows what she's doing. And aggressively sexual. (laughs) Yeah. But not, this is, that's not how she's portrayed at all. All no. in this movie, and it's such a disappointing it female is, okay, character. So, so here's where here's where I'm going to get into my biggest problem with this movie. The movie is straight up racist. Like it <laughs> yeah. is, it is straight up racist. Not in the Donald Trump, Steve Bannon racist, like you know we hate Jewish people or uh, Muslims are bad, but in the sense that. Um, uh, can you look up the name of the director for me? Sure. Um, the director and a lot of the people involved in this film know absolutely nothing about Japan and are making their decisions based on pop culture appropriation. Yep. Um, Rupert Sanders directed it, produced okay. by Avi Arad. Okay. Um, yeah, so there are geishas all over the place. There's uh, there are Japanese characters that are just kind of peppered throughout, but almost all of the characters have been replaced with um, with white people. Uh, a I few would say of them, a few of them were replaced with other ethnicities. I would I would say that the corporation, the Hanka Corporation, yeah, was, was all was white all people. white. But you saw actually quite a wide variety of different nationalities represented. Um, Section nine was like. Uh, uh, 
Power Rangers team, yeah. right? Like everybody they, they had to had, be a different nationality. Exactly. Well, and also around the table in the opening scene. That's true. Um, they, That's true. Uh, that was like a <clears throat> meeting of different nations yeah. or something like that. Um, but but uh, yeah, it was I, all... The the yeah. Japanese iconography that was used yep. was all very like it's all cultural appropriation yeah. stuff, right? It's it's you know uh, geishas and uh, paper fans and well and the worst stuff like that. And you know that they don't know what they're doing because yeah. at the very end of the movie, when uh, here's the big spoiler is that we find out that um, major what, what's her name in the movie M- Mira or something Mira, like that. Yeah. Um, she finds out that she, her brain is actually. Japanese, a Japanese girl. Yeah. And they take the name Motoko from the movie. They get to her grave. Yeah. And she sees the name of her, of her character on, on the grave, but it's the gravestone says Motoko Kusanagi, where it should say Kusanagi Motoko. Yeah. And also, hey, guess what? Probably be written in Japanese. Right. Yeah. Not, not in English. In, not in English. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, and then they do stuff. This is why I say it's racist because they they do they make those decisions and then they backpedal on stuff by having Aramaki only speak Japanese, right? Right. That was an interesting decision. Yeah, and and I uh, and the whole concept that she is a Japanese brain in a white girl's body in a synthetic white girl's body, right? Like there there are all of these um, extreme problems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then they try and hide behind, uh, Masamune and say, have him come out and say that, uh, uh I think he might've said in one of the interviews that, uh, that Japanese people are like, they're basically jealous of white people and they sort of revere them. I remember reading like a snippet of, an you know, article. and that's actually something that's been said a lot about that. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's why there's always Japanese you see Japanese people trying to bleach their hair yeah. and yeah. and like make their eyes bigger or whatever. And yeah. that's, and that's why we well, have anime looking the way it but, does. Okay. But here's the thing is that, cause I've, I've heard that argument before, but yeah. then I've heard the counter argument, uh-huh. which is, and you can crack this book open and take a look. Yeah. Anytime that a character is specifically American, they look nothing like the way that we would traditionally expect a Japanese anime character right. to look. True. Right. Cause the traditional mm-hmm. anime especially female is the big eyes, yeah. the pointed chin, yep. the small nose, right? And and usually, you know, like a, a pretty small mouth and that sort of thing. And then when you look at the way that Americans are drawn or uh, Europeans are drawn in this, they are often they often have these big crooked noses. <laughs> yeah. They've got small eyes with big foreheads and mm-hmm. brows and and these big mouths with sort of like the jowly right. illustration on it. And uh, and that's the way that Japanese people see Americans, right? right. When they when they stereotype an American look, mm-hmm. that's what they do. Um, so you look at it and you go like, to a certain extent, yes. Like there's there's idealization, which is you know, like the idea that, that we do it in our comics as well. So it's no different in, in Western culture than it is in Eastern culture. Um, every like Superman and Batman look the same, except one's wearing a mask and the other one's got a spit curl, right? Like, (laughs) like look at, look at justice league, all 
five of those characters are the same character. They yeah. just have different costumes and different hair colors, right? Anime is the same thing, yeah. right? And they, it is, you, you take what you think is the perfect person and then you just make slight modifications. And maybe every once in a while you go, okay, this guy's got a big nose or, you know, this guy's beefier than the other guys, but he's still idealized, right? Um, yeah, and, and, and anime, anime definitely follows that. But but going back to the movie, like the you can tell that the people who made it didn't do any of the homework that we did, right? Like just in, <laughs> yeah. in the ability to have this conversation. Yeah. They've never thought about it on that level, I don't think. Because if they had, they would have stopped themselves at certain points and said, well, we can't do this, Yeah. right? And I think you said uh, when we were on our way uh, back from the movie that if they had just set this in New York, would anybody care? Right. right? Well, and that's my thing is that um, the whole whitewashing controversy is is quite unfortunate. It, it. I mean, yes, they they shouldn't have done it in this way, especially because yeah. they made um, the, the point that they're making is, oh yeah, the um, the perfect ideal person. Yeah. Is is Caucasian, yeah, um, and they took a, a runaway, throwaway Japanese girl yep. and put her, made her the ultimate human, and that happens to be Scarlett Johansson, yeah, um, which is fine. Scarlett Johansson can be the ultimate human, fine. Yeah, that's, sure. that's fine with me. But um, but to have that subtext be there is yep. like no, um, the ultimate person is not Asian, even um, even in Asian culture the ultimate person is going to be Caucasian. But um, Old Boy came out a few years ago. Yeah. And that movie is based on an old Korean, not an old Korean movie, but a Korean movie, which mm-hmm. is based on a Japanese comic. Yeah. And when they made that movie uh, for a North American audience, they had it in completely Caucasian cast for that too. Yeah. But people didn't get upset about that. Why didn't people get upset about that? How come that that movie, the whitewashing issue, wasn't an issue? Or maybe it was to a couple people, but it wasn't a vocal issue. But then yeah. this one is. Um, and I think part of the reason is that this movie took place in Japan. Yes. And it, um, But if you go back to Ghost in the Shell, the manga, it doesn't have anything that's actually specifically Japanese about it. Like, you could take that story and put mm. it in New York... And have a completely white cast. Yeah. And would that be a- an issue for people? I don't know that it actually, maybe not the same sort of issue. I, yeah, maybe not the same issue. But but I also think that in 2017, if you do something like this, you are opening yourself up, right? Because yeah. um, definitely when they did it with Dragon Ball, when they did Dragon Ball, what did they call it? Dragon Ball Evolution, yeah. I think is what it was called. Um, which is... You know, as bad as Ghost in the Shell is, Dragon Ball Evolution is much worse. I never saw um, <laughs> and that. Is was, a, that, was that a white cast? It was an all-white cast, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and the thing about Dragon Ball is that the original Dragon Ball is actually a Chinese folk story right. adapted yes. into a Japanese yeah. comic, um, which eventually actually turns into the Japanese version of American superhero comics. So, like, Dragon right. Ball is a... is very much a mishmash of several different yeah. cultures uh, that that Toriyama brought together, but uh, but at no point in time will I would would I ever have conceived that Goku, that Son Goku, would be anything but 
Asian. Yeah. Right. Um, and if you wanted to be really super accurate as to as to what he would be nationality wise, he'd be Chinese, yeah, not even Japanese. Sure. Well, technically, um, he's an alien. Technically, he is an alien. But but you know, like I, yeah. I, in the comic, it's supposed to be interpreted that he's Jap or that yeah, he's, he's Chinese, Chinese yeah. and Bulma is Japanese. Right. Right. And uh, I. So to to then just make everybody white is yeah. like well you're you're so far off base you you don't even know how off base you are and that's that's a very similar thing with this where it's like were there characters that they could have definitely swapped uh, ethnicities on or said like you could tell me that that uh, Bateau is supposed to be European right because yeah. in the comic I look at him and it's like he's this big nondescript yeah, yeah blocky but he's like this big block he's got the flat top and stuff and that square jaw yeah that that i would probably associate more so with with like a, an eastern european sort of thing right yeah. or like but, a uh, guile from street fighter yeah yeah <laughs> um but i uh, but there's a couple of characters that I think like have to stay Japanese, and I think the major is one of them. Yeah, they they kept Togusa uh, Asian, and yep. actually, um, the only part of the movie that I walked away from going like, oh, I think they kind of nailed that was Togusa. I think that his character was pretty good. Well, because he was only in like, but he was two only in like of the movie. Yeah, but he was only in like two seconds. But the parts that he was in, I ended up going like, oh. That's actually pretty close. Like that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, I found it really funny at the end of the movie. Uh, uh, Saito gets name checked for the first time. Yeah, like ten minutes before the movie ends. Right, the only uh, time. Yeah, and it's like I, I don't know if I were making this movie, it would be an ensemble. Yeah, and, totally. and this the book is the book is absolutely an ensemble. There are scenes that Major is not even in. Yeah, right because. They because each character represents a different part of this human machine hybrid situation. Yeah, and so each each one has a different take on it. And I yeah. guess the movie wants to boil that down and focus on just one. Yeah, because maybe they don't have the time or energy to to focus on a bunch of them. But yeah, yeah, an ensemble cast is the way to go. And they get a little bit of that ensemble cast yeah. in like one scene of the movie. But other than that, yeah, yeah, you can just tell that that they didn't. They just didn't know. Like they just had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. They they wrote a script, uh, and they incorporated some of the key themes from Ghost in the Shell. Yep. And then they slapped that name on it, and they thought, eh, nobody'll notice. <laughs> it's just it's just some cartoon from Japan. Yeah. Right. And this is one of the core. You know, we've talked about a lot of adaptations. Uh, on on the podcast, we just recently talked about Logan. Yeah. Which I. Uh, Logan story wise has nothing, nothing. to do uh-uh. with with old man Logan the comic, but um, they still got the character right. But and the thematically, feel. it's the same story because yeah. at the core, it's the same character. Because yeah. uh, the 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 people involved with making Logan, and I think making the Wolverine as well, maybe not Wolverine Origins, but but uh, I or X Men Origins Wolverine, but. Um, the Wolverine and Logan, like there's definitely a care and attention to that character and where he comes from that comes across in that movie. Right. So you can change as much of the story as you want, as long as the core of the characters is still there. I mean, I just recently on the, on the latest, uh, 
Thunderquack podcast, the latest exclusive for Patreon, talked with a Power Rangers expert, my friend Ben, and we talked about the Power Rangers movie. And we we went through like the history of Power Rangers and basically like we started with the movie and said the movie is awesome. Everybody should go see it. Went through everything about Power Rangers and how we got from point A to now. Yeah. Uh, and then came back to the movie and was like, and this is why this movie is awesome because it actually takes all of those things that are important that we talked about yep. and it keeps them intact. But then it completely changes the way that the story unfolds by making it better, <laughs> right? right? Like right. by building on top of it. Yeah. And and I can see where they may have thought that that's what they were doing with Ghost in the Shell by going like, oh, we're going to focus on this character's yeah. story because people like deep character stories. And we'll and start at the like, beginning and find out why she is the way yeah, she is. But or... that just shows me that you're tone deaf to what Ghost in the Shell is actually about. Yeah. Because Ghost in the Shell is actually about that last chapter in, in the comic, right? right? Everything Which else I thought is that just they were precursor. going to do yeah, in the yeah. movie too with this other character. I, I don't even know if, what his name was, but he was the. Um, I can't remember what they called. Him. Yeah, Kuse or something like that. Kuse, I don't. Remember. Yeah, but yeah, who was another white guy with yeah. a Japanese yeah, with name. a Japanese person inside? Um, but I thought that they were going to kind of go in that direction as well because they established that he had created this whole network of minds and stuff like yeah. that, and um, I thought they were going to sync up. But no, they they didn't go that way at all no because guess what happens when you do that you have to end the story right right because the comic ends and the movie ends with her basically being like i fused with the puppeteer yeah uh we are a new life form and now this story is over right right and and like theoretically a new story begins but that new story isn't ghost in the shell no and uh you can tell that based on the ending, because the movie ends basically the same way that not that it begins because the opening is basically her being manufactured, um, which they just wanted to show all this cool stuff, right? Well, that was a, I think that was a throwback to the opening of the anime as well. That's true. That's true. Um, But then the real opening of the movie after the title sequence is, is the opening of the comic right and and the the and it ends the same way which is like the team's all in place and then it's like major you're cleared or whatever and then she she jumps into whatever the next battle is um it's very obvious that that they're hoping for a franchise yeah because they thought they thought oh we've just you know created a license to print money um sorry guys so far from the truth because this movie has bombed oh yes hard uh 60 million loss um, this wow. is what's projected. Well, when so. you have the highest paid actress in the yep. world, like yep. it's, you're going to have to make sure your movie's going to make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to lose big time. Um, and, and uh, you know, every time this happens, you hope that the studios figure it out, that they really, really see what it is. Because now the the unfortunate thing, the worst thing from this movie is that people are going to go, see, female-led superhero movies don't open. Right. Yeah, that's not right? the lesson here. But at all. that's not what it is. No. It's that when you adapt something, when you go to something and you go, This is awesome and you go, Let's take this awesome thing, whether it's a book, a comic, a, a TV show, whatever, and you go, Let's make a movie out of this. Let's make a franchise yeah. out of this. You have to go this thing is awesome. Let's make a franchise out of this. But what happens is they go, this thing is awesome. That means it's popular. 
that means we can put that name on a franchise yeah. and the franchise will be popular. But yeah. but it's not popular because of the name. It's no. popular because it's awesome. The worst thing I, I hate hearing, <laughs> and I think Michael Bay said this as well, I, I didn't go back to the source material because I didn't want it to um, to influence you know what I'm my doing vision, here. Yeah. yeah, it's like I I want to take these characters and make them my own or my own vision, yeah. and that you know that's okay. Yeah, sure. But Guardians gotta... of the Galaxy, that's James Gunn's version of the Guardians, right? Like yeah. absolutely, totally different from what the comics were previous. Loosely, you know, sort of implied stuff. But we were talking about it when we were watching the trailer for Guardians too. Yeah. Drax is a very different character. In, in the movies than he is in the comics. Yeah. Um, although now he's not because now in the comics, he's the character Surprise. from the movie, yeah. right? But yeah, but that's fine. Like it can be your own vision, but you also have to... Uh, you still have to have the heart of yeah. and the, the themes of, of the original material there. Yeah. I think I've probably... That's a bit of a false dichotomy though because Guardians is something that was uh, kind of okay and they turned Guardians it into something Guardians wasn't awesome. a franchise. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Is that, yeah. Like... Spider-Man's a franchise, yeah. so you got to make sure that you are on board with what Spider-Man is all about. But yeah. Guardians was not a franchise, so you yeah. have the license to change things up. Ghost in the Shell is already a franchise, yeah. a long-standing franchise. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and so I'm I'm interested to, uh, it, you know, this is like what always happens when we read something that we really enjoy. It, it kind of opens the door to, especially when it's a big franchise like Ghost in the Shell, to yep. like, well, now I have to check out everything because yeah. I really liked that. So let's see what else is out there. And uh, unfortunately, Hollywood not quite understanding what's so good about it. But uh, you know, like Curtis and I are available if you guys want to. <laughs> if you guys just want to start read scripts and pay us uh, to check that out before you spend all of that money putting Scarlett Johansson in uh, very, very, very skin tight outfits. Um, you know, like, like, let's make it worthwhile first. Her outfits were pretty good. Yeah, they were I mean, great. Like, yep. like the, the, uh, the. Not at all like the, the comic. No. But it's fine. Not even a little bit. Yeah. But, or the, or the anime. But they were pretty good. Um, yeah, no. And man, how do you mess up the spider tanks? How do you mess them up? <laughs> I don't understand. This is one of the things that just drives me nuts when they do stuff like this. It's like, you have the production design done for you. All you got to do is render it basically, yeah. right? Like you just have to get a talented uh, concept artist to to say, okay, if I basically increase the fidelity on that because you go from, from a comic to a movie, <clears throat> you're talking about a way more detailed version of a spider tank of, of the Fuchikoma. Yeah. But, you know, like like – you make it look like that at least yeah. as opposed to just being a spider tank. Yeah. They really kind of missed the mark on that. I think they missed the mark in the anime as well though. Like there's a, that is like the most iconic thing. Like like you look at the, the, the posters and stuff that they did, the marketing that they did. Can you imagine how much money this movie would have made if the poster would have been the very classic artwork of, of uh major, like basically sitting on top of one of the Fuchikoma, like right. that blue spider tank, just like you just go like white background, blue spider tank, Scarlett Johansson sitting on top of that in that skin tight outfit. You would have sold way more tickets, yeah, way more tickets, but they didn't even have them in the movie. So why would you put that in your marketing material? <laughs> so instead you just put 
faux matrix uh special effects and that was everything. the funniest part is the um that they the matrix is heavily influenced by ghost in the shell yes heavily yeah and then this movie the the whole like port in the back of the neck oh yeah is directly from ghost in the shell yeah well and the the just the the feel of the yeah. of the um dystopian future and mm-hmm. um there's just so much in there and then this ghost in the shell movie tries so hard to mimic a lot of stuff yeah. from the matrix and i was saying this as well as like they took a a bunch of they took like the best parts of blade runner and the best parts of matrix and the best parts of all of these different yeah. sci-fi movies and tried to put them all in one and didn't yeah. accomplish any of that yeah. at all like yeah they did it all poorly yeah it's pretty astounding it's 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 crazy to think that you can put that many talented people together because the people who do the special effects the people who do the production design stuff they are talented but it doesn't matter how talented that group of people is when you put the wrong person at the helm yeah like leadership is so important in all aspects and when the wrong person is at the helm of any project it's doomed to failure, right? And that this is just a perfect example. Yeah, thanks a lot, Rupert Sanders. Yeah. What else has Rupert Sanders done? Let's have a look here. I don't even know. <laughs> the name is familiar. Snow so. White and the Huntsman. There you go. Okay, there. That's uh, that's all we need to know about yeah, that. Need oh, and that anymore. actually was his directorial debut. There so you go. He hasn't done anything since. There you go. So, um, but you know, I bright side, we did see some pretty cool trailers. I mean, we saw the guardians of the galaxy volume two trailer. It looks like it's going to be a good movie. Yeah. I have some reservations about that too. And I just yeah. read, um, a volume of silver surfer. You can hear me talk about it on the Epic Marvel podcast. It's a silver surfer episode three freedom. And Mantis is a big part of that. Yep. And I got to talk to the creator of Mantis as well. Steve Englehart, um, just purely based on what this trailer shows us, yeah, they they got Mantis completely wrong. Oh yeah, they're turning her into a funny character, also. Yeah, uh, so I don't know how that's going to turn out because she's actually quite a fascinating character. There's a lot of history, and she's just got a, a really great story. Um, but I don't know that they're going to actually hmm. really fully utilize that that character at all. So we'll see. Yep. The first one I like the first one a lot, so we'll see how this one turns out as well yeah. um that trailer for baby driver was like i don't know what that movie is <laughs> yeah. i don't know where that came from but edgar wright signed me up yeah that yeah, is I, so strange he's yeah. got a good cast too i, yeah, I like all those cast. those actors in there kevin spacey yeah. can't yeah. go wrong with kevin yeah. spacey yeah but i i the trailers but, were the best part yeah, of the, the ghost in the shell movie <laughs> yeah planet part. of the apes yeah war for the planet oh so good so even good, that so baywatch good. trailer even yep. though that movie's gonna be ridiculously stupid yeah it's uh, but you know what so is 21 jump street and 22 jump street yeah. i love those movies. yeah they're yeah. so good yeah but it's uh, not taking itself seriously which is fine no, yeah. no. uh cool well i think that does it for ghost in the shell when <laughs> yeah. we devolve into talk, to talking about baywatch i think that's that right so we're done um, in our next episode we're going to talk about your pick which is yep. avx avengers versus x-men yes so that'll be an interesting conversation and the next month i'm choosing um, a, a comic called Black Science that came out a few years back from Image Comics by Rick Remender. Cool. So um, I haven't read that one yet, so I'm excited to check that out. Cool. Uh, awesome. Well, I guess that's it for yep. this week. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Keep reading comics. For more episodes of the Pullbox Podcast, visit us at pullboxpodcast.com or on iTunes. 
You can find me on various social media websites. Just search for Curtis Findlay. That's Curtis with a K. You can follow me on Twitter at ArkWolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F, and, you know, on Tumblr and Instagram and all those other social medias as well. Uh, go to patreon.com slash thunderquack to support us, where you can kick in as little as a dollar and get a bunch of great rewards. The exclusive Thunderquack podcast, as well as access to the Facebook group. And by getting access to the Facebook group, you get that direct line to us to send us suggestions for what we should read on the podcast. If you like this podcast, you can check out other great podcasts on the Thunderquack network by heading to thunderquack.com. 